be prepared. It is about to get real in this deep conversation on the current state of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. Hola, ¿qué tal? How's it going? This is Jen Hempel, your host. Last week, if you were here with us, I shared a behind-the-scenes conversation from when I was at ZeroCon in New Orleans back in August of 2022, depending on when you are listening to this. ZeroCon is an event for leaders in accounting and bookkeepers that I had the pleasure to attend. It was a lot of fun. And I know I'm neither an accountant or a bookkeeper, but doing what I do sometimes just gets me these crazy cool invites to events like this. Today's conversation was also recorded at ZeroCon. And I'm going to warn you again, this conversation is deep and it is so good. I know it's an opinion, but I am confident you're going to agree with me. <laughs> and it is so good, that good, that you probably want to re-listen to it again a few times. I am dead serious. It's that good. There's so much gold in this conversation. I speak with Ghislaine St. Joost, and Matthew Coons, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of them. So Ghislaine St. Juice serves as the president and chief executive officer of the National Association of Black Accountants, also known as NABA, which is a nonprofit membership association that represents more than 200,000 Black professionals in accounting, finance, and related business professions. And Matthew Coons is the Diversity and Inclusion Program Manager at Zero and is responsible for the DNI efforts in the Northern Hemisphere, including the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and EMEA. Matthew is focused on driving a culture of inclusion through Standing Up Zero's Employee Resource Group Program, developing organizational capability, and implementing data-driven approaches to drive systemic change within Zero. Lista, let's get to this conversation. Welcome. I'm excited to have you both, Matt and Gillen, and just being here at ZeroCon has been so amazing and such a wonderful experience. And I'm excited to be able to talk to you both, have this conversation on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion, something that is near and dear to my heart and is also something that we have seen since pre-pandemic when everybody started talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Things have changed, maybe some improvement, maybe some not, and I wanted to talk to you about that. 
Let's start with what diversity, equity, and inclusion means to you personally. And then I want to talk about what it means to zero, as well as what it means to NABA, the National Association of Black Accountants. So you want to start, take it away, Matt? Awesome. Wonderful. And it's wonderful to be in person to have this conversation. You know, so many of these have been virtual, but like this brings it to life. So diversity, equity, and inclusion. When I think about the three, I think about three things that cannot succeed without the other. And when I think about diversity, the first thing that comes to mind for me is identity. And that diversity is speaking to so many different things that exist culturally, internally to an individual, aspects of our identity when it comes to gender identity, racial, ethnic identity, sexual orientation, religious identity, cultural identity, the list goes on and on. And I think we can't talk about diversity without talking about intersectional identity because it is so individualized based on our experience and how our identities intersect. And with that, I think about inclusion. You know, diversity, you can be invited to the party, but are you being invited to dance? And that is what is so critical within an organization. And I think is oftentimes the oversight in an organization because inclusion isn't something that we do once and then everybody's included forevermore after that moment. It's actions, behaviors, habits that we build in ourselves and we practice, we make mistakes on, we need to have feedback on making those mistakes But inclusion are systems, practices, and processes that ensure people are enabled to be there and succeed. And then equity. I have an old people leader of mine, Millette Granville, who would always say, do you know the golden rule? Treat others as you want to be treated. Let's change it to the platinum rule, which is treat others as they want to be treated. And that is what comes to mind for me with equity. Now, it's a lot more complex with that because in order to do that, we need to make access equitable. We need to make access to capital equitable. We need to make sure that we recognize that not everybody has the same starting point, whether that starting point is education, whether that starting point is the connections, the network that you have. There are so many different things that we aren't coming from, again, systemically through culture, through society, through government regulations that either enable people to succeed or keep people from succeeding. They disenfranchise people. So it's recognizing that equity is something that, like inclusion, we have to be really critical of the things around us and make change sustainable. That is my long rambling answer for DE&I, but I love to talk about it. And with that, do you want me to pass it over to Ghislaine? Wonderful. Thank you both for having me here. I don't do chaos. I do order, but I like to, I'm a disruptor, a self-proclaimed disruptor. So I'm going to start with like equity, inclusion, and diversity that way, because I'm big on defining what terms mean. And I want to echo a couple of things that Matt talked about, which is access to resources. And I think a lot of times people confuse equality with equity and equality is different than equity. It's not the same thing. And I think that in this country, around the world, that confusion is driving us further apart than driving us together. Because people think, well, everybody goes to school. (laughs) Yeah, but everybody doesn't go to school and learn the same way. Everybody doesn't go to the same quality schools. An example that I like to use is to say that one of the travesties in these United States is that public school is funded off tax base, real estate tax base, which means that white 
predominantly rich neighborhood where home values increase, have access to really good schools where parents are engaged and they can hire really good teachers. So yes, the graduation rate is a lot higher than in inner cities, like many of our inner cities, where neighborhoods has, have been decimated through redlining and other policies that are inequitable, and therefore schools are not properly funded. They don't attract the right teachers. So you continue to have this sort of this decimation that people who go to college tend to be white. People who tend to succeed in college tend to be white. In your population and mine, who tend to be served in inner city neighborhood where schools are not good, don't go to college, don't finish college, don't have the resources to sort of, you know, go on to do great things. We've got to address that as an inequity, not an issue of equality. Inclusion is one that I struggle with a lot because I think a lot of times we confuse inclusion with assimilation, right? Assimilation is not inclusion. In fact, one of the places that I have leaned in heavy is even in our vernacular as immigrants. <laughs> I know we're both immigrants. What do we say? The United States is a melting pot. I tell people, please don't melt me in anybody's pot because I'm a very bad alloy. I don't melt very easily. <laughs> okay, I mean, I just don't. So you're going to end up with that bump in your pot because I'm the bad alloy, right? I don't melt easily. But that's not inclusion. That's assimilation. Inclusion would be if we said America is a big pot that is cooking is stew. I'm happy for you to be a carrot, for me to be a potato, and for you to be a good, chunky, good piece of beef. But all together, we make this very delicious stew. But we each get to retain that essence of who we are. That's inclusion. But the reality of it, even in our language and how we describe it, we're really talking about assimilation, not inclusion. And that gets to translate into things like culture fit, which you heard me talk about yesterday, which really then you're not getting into inclusion. You're getting into sort of like more and more to respecting homogeneous cultures, places, and spaces where you're not getting the richness of the different thinkings that render companies, you know, sort of like competitive in the world. Then we talk about diversity. I am a Black Notice I didn't say African-American. I don't identify as African-American because I think black is beautiful. So I think I'm black woman who was born and raised Catholic, who went to Catholic school, all girl Catholic school, her entire youth, who was raised by a single mom, who is deeply Christian, who was a single mom herself. And each one of those is a diverse aspect of my being that sometimes collide with one another. I mean, even like the first time I read sort of like the tenet of Black Lives Matter, there was a clash internally for me about what my Judeo-Christian upbringing calls a family and what that group defines as a family. But my awareness as a human allowed me to lean into it and to see that we're just saying the same thing on how we define things. But it's an effort to do that. So I think a lot of times we try to define diversity on the external world 
And I think if we leaned in into ourselves and start to really understand the diversity, the diverse aspects of our experiences, of our, our bringing, of our thinking, that blend together to make us who we are, then maybe we stop weaponizing the idea that people sort of cringe when we start to talk about biases because we realize that every single one of us have biases. All of us. They're part of being human. What's not okay is to use those biases as tools and weapons to keep others that don't see the world like us apart or othering as opposed to being welcoming, as opposed to being humble and wanting to learn, as opposed to ultimately this internal quest that says, what am I here to do? And what am I to do with what I'm here to do? I'm at a loss of words because you all are really the knowledge, how your brains work <laughs> literally is just incredible. So I really appreciate those words. And I really love how you mentioned about leaning in. I related a lot to that because even though I'm a Latina, and if you look at my skin, I'm a white Latina. And I feel like I've always had this, I don't know if issue, but like uh, trouble of even though I am Latina, people saw me different because even though the white people like, no, you're not white, you're olive toned. I'm like, okay, but the Latinos, I wasn't Latina enough because I wasn't brown enough. So I never belonged in anywhere. And the only time that I felt a sense of belonging was actually in college. And you know where it was? In the black community, which was, that's where I felt that belonging. So I had to lean into, because it was, I felt guilt for having privilege, but I've learned so much. So I really appreciate that you just sharing that leaning in because we all have, like you said, that diverse and looking into us and like our own individual situations. You brought up single momhood, you brought up your spirituality, you brought up these things that, yeah, definitely tie in so much to this topic. So thank you. Now, you both have certain roles at your own, Matt, you're at zero, and then you are a powerhouse with the National Association of Black Accountants. So tell me, because your roles are a little different. So at zero, you really are focused on bringing diversity, equity, and inclusion to zero. And then at NABA, you're advocating that for Black accountants. So tell me a little bit about what has this looked like in the past few years, how it has evolved, or maybe some challenges that you have seen. How I've seen it evolve over the past couple of years, it is resourced in a way that it hasn't been in the past financially. It is more consistently a conversation with executive teams than I've seen it in, in the past. So a little bit about my background. I previously worked for a company, a grocery retail organization on the East Coast. And then I worked for Kaiser Permanente. And before coming to zero, seeing the transition over the past few years to how do we sustain this work so that it isn't a one-off? How is it a strategic priority within our organization to meet our people internally's needs, our customers' needs, to make sure our product is more accessible? I've seen that. But what 
I haven't seen change all the way is the approach that people or organizations are taking to get there. And I think that's the challenge that continues to exist is that people want an easy solution. They want to like wipe the guilt or the shame associated with doing things wrong in the past or present away and be like, I'm good at this now. And I want people to validate me for being good at this now. So I think that is a bit of a shift. And if it's okay, talking a little bit about, you know, where I see that going is I think about what you were sharing before, Elaine, about assimilation. And we're talking a lot at zero about cultural competence and the continuum of cultural competence. And one of the phases in that is cultural blindness. And, you know, an example of that is I don't see color. You know, people aren't different. We're all the same. And that is the place that I think that keeps people stuck, you know, when they stay in that, you know what, I'm not going to acknowledge difference because if I acknowledge difference, then I suddenly have a problem to fix in myself, in my own being. And so we can move along that continuum of cultural competence to being culturally competent. But also the issue with that is that culture changes. It is dynamic and it's really individualized. So the way I experience the world as a queer person is going to be radically different than somebody else who is queer as well. So recognizing that we want to make sure that people have a foundational understanding of systems of oppression, marginalization, and disenfranchisement. But we also need to pair that with cultural humility and really enabling organizations, people to say, I don't know. I'm walking into this meeting, this conversation, and the expectation that I have for myself is to ask questions, to get to know this person, and then figure out what our solutions are in partnership with them. You know, I am not here to be a savior for a community or a person. And that's another piece of it, is that savior mindset. So I could go on and on, but I think it's recognizing the human limitation that we have and making sure this is a we and not an us versus them. Matt, I'm sitting here dancing and saying, yes, 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 yes. All of the above, right? I mean, one of the pieces, I mean, I'm going to really resonate and pull some of the pieces that I heard from you, which are so not just powerful, palatable. It's this idea of, I remember, I mean, I have a few more years ahead of you <laughs> when, you know, DEI was like a initiative. We talked about being tolerant. What? <laughs> But think about the words. I mean, in good intention to be do-gooders, we were willing to be tolerant. We don't use those words anymore. I want to celebrate that as progress, but still the mindset, because it's the same people still in power. We may not use the words, but the idea is, oh, look, you know, we've got 15% of people are black and 20% are Asian and you know, whatever. And, you know, yeah, queer people can wear nail polish at work. And like, you know what? Oh, yes, we are a woke company. And I'm like, really? Have you looked at where these people tend to be employed in lower ranks? How their rate of promotion is 3x lower than that of others? Or their access, they tend to work in field offices and not in mothership where the power is. Like, have we talked about all these things? But no, we're going to be happy because we've got all the numbers add up. Because we want the report card that says we've done good. You're an A+. Plus, right? You're good. 
The other piece that I love that you talked about is the savior mentality. In fact, one of the words that I get triggered, I mean, they're very triggering to me is when we start to say, well, we want to support people. I'm like, I don't want to be supported. It's the idea of being supported, right? The idea that we're going to give you this to try to help you. When all I want is I want to have the same access as everybody else. The same access to the same resources. Let's not have schools in this country funded on real estate tax if we know that that disenfranchises a group over another. Find another way to fund it. Or say, here's our baseline on how we're going to do things. And so if we got to take the money and make sure that school system operate in a certain way, then do that. Then let's just start to see if that starts to change something. Until then, it's almost like to your savior mentality, it's like you want to give me the scraps off of your table and then you want me to continue to say, thank you, master. And I'm not doing that. So from my perspective as NABA, that's why we decided not to be National Association of Black Accountants anymore, but to be NABA Inc. And about empowering black business leaders at every point of the journey and to move accounting as a field and a profession and rather a language because the language of money, the language of business, the language of wealth is all in the fundamental equation of accounting of asset minus liability equals owner's equity. I like equity very, very much. (laughs) But most people in my group don't understand that because they've never had an asset to begin with. No access to no asset day to day. The other day I was laughing with my daughter, who is privileged, right? Because her mother knew enough that the minute my girls turned 15, they got added to one of my credit cards. So guess what? My daughter is 26 years old. She has credit score of 845. But she had a credit card on her own, but she was laughing because the interest rate is 26.99. And I'm like, you need to call name company that won't be naming this public forum and tell them to lower her credit card. But here's how privilege shows up. And I could see it. She's like, why should I bother? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I'm never going to have a balance on that credit card. And she paused. Now, the good news is I've raised consciously aware privileged people. She's not a privileged citizen. She just has privilege that she paused and she said, Ma, I can't believe I just said that. I said, well, the victory is that I've done good, that you were able to say that from where we started. But I want you to never lose sight of the principle. She's like, you're absolutely right. I need to call. Because, yes, you probably will never have a balance on that credit card if I have my say into it. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. And our blessings continue to flow. But the point of the matter is to charge somebody $26.99 on a credit card is absurd. And so NABA is here to really move this accounting concept to a language, to a movement that gets people to move from literacy to fluency, from financial literacy to financial fluency, because you don't become you don't, you don't achieve a version or your version of the American dream by being literate only. Language is a real thing. 
you and I can be at that table at this wonderful ZeroCon because we can speak English fluently, period, right? And so we want to have the hard conversations. We want to help companies define the words of the things they say they want to do. We want to build community and connectedness between Black business leaders. I don't like the word ally because I think people throw it as a way to cover guilt, which I don't do guilt. I want to talk about our advocates. I want to talk about our accomplices. I tell people my life box is full. Thank you very much. (laughs) I need a few advocates and a few accomplices. And I want to celebrate the conversations that I just had with Steve and Rachel at ZeroCon, because here's what I can tell that's different at Zero, is that at least people are willing to pause and listen. we got a long way to go, because we still think it's a thing to fix. But at least people are willing to pause and listen. And the openness to realize that it is a new way of doing things that does not require solving, that does not require fixing, that does not require saving, but rather a bringing spaces and places to a greater equilibrium that says that if you are here and you behave in that way, which is a set of core values, and you perform at that level, that when we look at promotion rate, higher rate, et cetera, we start to see fewer differences, whether you're queer, whether you're a black man, a black woman. And then for me, the most vulnerable of all vulnerable are queer black men. So we've got a lot of work to do. Wow. These... I've been paired up with these two dynamic people that now I'm like, oh my gosh, can we have the rest of the day to talk about this? Because there's so much to cover. And you mentioned money. This podcast is about money. You mentioned fluency. I want to talk about, because on my end, where I sit, I've heard a lot of, okay, these companies started these initiatives of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But years later, what's happening? We're not seeing this. So I want to talk a little bit about that and how they can voice and keep their employer accountable in a safe way, because I think that is something that is important. So do you want to take that one? So I want to share a story. That's why sort of my hand went up fast. My prior employer, I won't use their name. I remember talking to folks in HR who said to me, you know, we're getting a little top heavy on our 401k plan and we may have to give some money back. I'm like, what the heck? What do you mean? I was stunned. And I learned that the majority, I mean, 80% plus of our director below roles, which tended to be black, unsurprisingly, was not contributing to the 401k. And, you know, you would assume that as a black woman, I would know this. Didn't. New information. When we went in and we really dug into it, it was really true. So we began a campaign. But the campaign wasn't blasting it on Slack or, you know, having cool marketing videos. It wasn't about that at all. It was about me, who was the leader, 
sitting with people and saying, let me tell you how I made my first few bucks. And when you contribute to your 401k, your take-home pay is actually going to be higher. And people looking at me and like, help me understand what that math and walking people through the idea of taxable income and helping people understand that. And then looking at three years later, we'd move that number to almost everybody contributing. But here's where the story gets better. I had this young black woman who's a single mom who said to me, thank you. I now have $40,000 in savings. But that's where I think in the very simple things, we don't look at data that says how are our employees across race, places in the world from where you live, coastal towns versus landlocks, et cetera, consume what we think are benefits, one. And then are the benefits we are offering really relevant for the problems we're trying to solve? For example, maybe if I'm a young black person, I'd much rather have student loan debt alleviation as a benefit than immediate 401k. Because if I'm 22, I have a little time, right? And that, you know what, at least I can have an exchange. As opposed to the same sort of battery of benefits that everybody can rattle off. But the reality is there's a whole bunch of stories hidden behind it. And we are not looking at that data. I am, you know, like the cookie monster on Sesame Street. I love kids stuff. Like I'm a big, I've watched every single Disney movies. My favorite one is Finding Nemo. I think that's the best metaphor for life. Everybody should watch Finding Nemo. I've been swallowed by the whale. Hold on, he's swallowing us. And you know what? You needed the whale to get closer to Sydney. (laughs) And until that happened, you couldn't understand that. For me, Finding Nemo is it. I mean, like everybody should watch Finding Nemo. Okay? Everyone. But anyway, back to Cookie Monster. So I define myself as a data monster. I consume it. I love it because I love, but not the data for the data's sake, but the data for the learnings and the pausing moments that we have in it. So everybody wants to look at pay equity. I'm like, no. Look at your employee base and how are people consuming your benefits And something as simple as that learning that was brought to me and the ways in which we were intentional in helping people understand what a 401k plan is and what the benefits they're in when their fear is I can't afford it to like you can't not afford it. But then looking at the place of privilege for me, for my daughter, who's 30 years old, who has well over $100,000 in her 401k, because of course she knew. I mean, the minute she got her first job, it's like, yeah, you know, Joel, there's no question, like 20% is going into, I mean, like I'm telling her and she's like, yep, mom, got it, 20%. And here she is 30 and she's got assets, like real asset, right? And so I think that these are the kind of conversations that Naba wants to be a part of. Because sometimes we make it this grandiose thing or we think we're going to put it and we don't even understand One of my learnings at NABA, we talk about lack often, but I have learned to talk about the absence of, the absence of trust. Institutions that hold our money don't look like us. So I, you have my money. Now you want me to leave more of my money in your something that you said is like, "Mm, I don't think so. An absence of trust. 
and not enough of us willing to have those kinds of conversations. And I think for NABA, it's about partnering with companies like Zero, who are willing to, at least where we are truly welcome for fullness of what we bring, to have those kind of conversations, encourage people to go look at the data and something as simple as participation rate in the 401k. And in looking at it by demographic, seeing what it's teaching us and then intentionally going after it could have a huge impact because that's how we begin to seed wealth and prosperity in communities that have been historically disenfranchised. So from the Zero's perspective, how can an employee voice keep Zero accountable for the initiatives that you are doing, keeping you, keeping the whole company accountable of what you're doing for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Something that comes to mind for me before I get kind of the zero practical example is recognizing the industry where we are and thinking about safety. And I think that progress or advocacy for progress is inherently not safe. You're advocating for change. You're challenging the status quo. And it creates friction with people that have held the privilege and power forever in so many different ways and facets. So I think that as an organization, you know, recognizing, again, the distribution of representation of the organization, what does your leadership team look like? And if your leadership team in tech, leadership predominantly male, predominantly white, and there's fewer shared experiences. So I think one, stepping back, having that cultural humility and saying, if somebody is coming to me and giving me this feedback, that is the biggest gift. And this person is taking a huge risk. And so I think just recognizing that from the get-go is really, really key. And then, you know, thinking about it practically at zero, I also am a data monster. I love that, Elaine. Oh, yes, data. It tells us so much and it shows us progress because historically so much in the diversity and inclusion equity space has focused on anecdotal stories. And I think to me, I'm like, yes, please, the stories of humanity We need to always keep that at the core. And what business leaders love are metrics and KPIs. So we need to match that qualitative with quantitative measures. So at Zero, we recently had a pilot inclusion and belonging index for the Americas. And what we were able to do is measure our systemically experiences within the organization and break that out by aspects of identity. So gender identity, racial ethnic identity, sexual orientation, ability, disability, religion, so neurodiversity, so many other aspects of identity. And what we can see is how systemically people are experiencing the organization. So we can be intentional with our resourcing, with our intervention. We can also do it intersectionally, you know, overlay gender and race ethnicity, overlay team and function and region, because these are really key insights that inform, is our people speaking up? If people say, oh yeah, it's good, But the majority of your organization shares a single identity, whether that be whiteness or gender identity, who is the organization good for? So if you're just looking at it big picture and not breaking it out by those those lanes, those aspects of identity, you're not getting the right information. You're not elevating the voices that need to be elevated. So I think that it's, again, matching the, the stories, the humanity to it, to 
this data that we can leverage now and we have access to it. And you can look at attrition. I mean, Ghislaine was talking about so many different things. So the promotional velocity, attrition, what's your top of funnel versus selection. So even if you can't resource an inclusion index right now, I think you should. But if you can't, there are you have access to data that can inform the story. So yeah, I think that that is with safety. I strayed so far from safety, but coming back to it, we need to leverage everything that we have to understand the story that we have right now to make it safer for the future. My goodness, so much there. So this has been such a phenomenal conversation. We can go on and on. I mean, I want to ask and ask and ask because I'm learning a lot here, but let's take it to money. I know the listeners probably thinking, okay, this has been fantastic. I learned this is empowering, but how is this in a perfect, it's never going to be perfect, but in a, an ideal, you know, diverse, equitable and inclusive environment, work environment. How do you see that shifting? Because in these different disenfranchised, maybe not the best word, populations, there's that lack of wealth, right? There's a lot of those gaps. So in that ideal world, again, of diverse, equitable, and inclusive, how do you think that would shift these gaps? Because in the queer community, I interviewed a lady and I learned so much of things that I was not aware. So I'm just curious from your perspectives. Because whiteness patriarchal, Eurocentric mindset has dominated the world, we start to believe and embody that that's the right way to be. And so part of the reflections that I've been having in my prayers and my meditation is the awareness of what that shows up, which is why at NABA you're going to start to see more and more that we talk about Afrocentric beliefs that sort of stand in contrast to that mindset. One of them is a zero-sum game mentality. Some black or white, male or female. If I win, somebody loses. If I have, somebody doesn't have. That's really the mindset. Competition means I beat you, you're defeated. Winning or losing. It's very much the way we think about things. So we've even gotten to the mindset that for me to win, somebody has to lose and then somebody has to be annihilated. A different way of thinking is, hmm, what if winning means that more people win? Moving away from a mentality and a view of life of one rooted in scarcity, a finite pool of resources to a new way of thinking and seeing and viewing and dreaming that says there is un, that energy is expendable and limitless and that we operate in a mentality of abundance that says that this imaginative life creative force doesn't know boundaries or limits and therefore there's plenty for everyone. I'm watching you all like lean into this and it's joy to me. Because you will like it. You know why? Because this is the language of the soul. And so therefore I say that in a more equitable world, everybody has more. It doesn't mean that anybody has less. I know we talk often about redistribution of wealth or all the things we talk about. 
doesn't have to be true. In fact, there are research that are being done that shows that if you move the needle on more black people, even like 5%, moving 5% of black businesses to become sustainable businesses and profitable, you increase output by $1.5 trillion. Everybody else wins. It's not I take from you so I can have, because I think that's the fear factor. That this Eurocentric mindset, this colonialism mindset, this imperialism mindset says, take it from you. And therefore, you know, I've got to instill this fear of me in you. Because otherwise you're going to try to fight for what you know is yours, but now I want it to be mine. And then we stay in this fight or flight. Rachel and I just talked about this in this fight or flight, as opposed to stopping, breathing, taking stock and saying that when we destroy our planet, everybody loses. When we allow processed food to become the way people think healthy eating is. Yes, Big Pharma makes a lot of money, but then you end up with the problem that we're facing is this aging population, which means we don't know what we're going to do because there's not enough people working to support those that have retired because people are dying. And everybody loses, right? That the imagining that we're cutting trees in the Amazon and everywhere. Well, when the Colorado River doesn't have enough water, everybody's affected. When in, I think it's southeastern France, and we're watching that, we're watching it in China, everybody loses. None of us win. So what are we going to do? Continue to go colonializing Mars? This is our home, and we all have a responsibility for it. And so I think for me, I've done the work of really digging into the crock and the core of it, and I think we have no other way forward but together and no other way forward but to start to realize that the zero-sum game, this idea that if more people, more black people are there, or more Latin people are there, or more Asian people are there, or more indigenous people are there, that means that I'm going to have less, because that couldn't be further from the truth. I don't know how to follow that, Ghislaine. <laughs> and I can't wait for this to be released, because I'm going to cut Ghislaine's pieces out and make it my alarm every morning, <laughs> so I can rise and be reminded of everything that you shared today. Just, yes, this has been such a pleasure. And there are a few things that you've said that just really, really resonate with me. And the first is, is that fear. Because I think it is so at the root of everything, of this conversation, of why these systems of inequity exist. And the comfort that privileged identities, including myself, have experienced in when we have that power, that access taken away, it's like, oh no, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my community, my family? So I think that fear is really critical for organizations to talk about, you know, for companies to have conversations about what this really means. And I say at zero in some of our content, it's about myth busting because, you know, we talk about 
access to talent? What are strategic priorities? All of these things. Oh, DNI, is it going to take up more time? And, you know, something that I've really loved we've been able to do at zero is bust those myths. We've gotten access to systems that show that increasing the diversity of our top of funnel doesn't change time to hire. I mean, like super practical things that people hold on to stop to create a barrier to change over time. So I think that fear, it's pervasive. And as we let go of that, we're able to lean into that cultural humility and be like, I don't know, and that's okay. Ready to transform your financial life with ease and confidence? Discover the Her Dinero Matters Money Planner, your ultimate digital tool for simplifying money management with its unique blend of psychological insights and practical budgeting tools. This planner is not just about tracking expenses, but about rewriting your money story. Whether you're aiming for big financial goals or everyday financial wellness, this planner is your personalized guide to simplify your money management and elevate your confidence. Download your copy today by visiting jenhemphill.com forward slash planner for more details and even get a sneak peek inside. Use the code Reina at checkout for 10% off. Something that really comes to mind for me too at zero, and you were saying zero sum game, and I'm like, XERO. Zero, zero, the company I work for. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Is that it's about being human and it's about making mistakes and it's about creating space for those mistakes, but also doing better once you've made that mistake. Like you can't continue to perpetuate the same exact mistake that you know over and over. So I think that your question about where this would take us is frankly, I don't have to answer because we've never been there before. I don't know. But what I do know is that I really feel like it's where we need to go. When we look at the census in the U.S., when we look at the census across the world, our organizations are not set up to serve the communities that we're a part of. And so it's recognizing that that is who we need to be. So I could go on and on, but I just want to say thank you so much today. And Ghislaine, it's been like the biggest pleasure in the world. So thank you. I want to thank you both. I mean, one, I love that I just hearing about you in the past 24 hours, I'm like, oh, he's like the champion of DNNI here at Zero. So thank you so much for the leadership and everything that you're doing at Zero. And even just being at this conference, just now, this little bit of time, I feel that the efforts that you have been making, there's progress there. Because I feel one of the things that I noticed when I stalked you on LinkedIn was and a part of your title was belonging. And in just in the culture that I felt here, I have felt that. So I hope that you know, and I want to applaud your efforts and the work that you're doing, because it's not easy. It's not an easy job, especially in the conversation that we've had today, that it's not a complete conversation. We're just covering a little bit of the surface. So thank you. And Glenn, thank you for just your knowledge. And if you haven't written a book, I think you need to. <laughs> All the words, just how it naturally, I can tell you, meditate, just in prayer or your own soul searching is very obvious. So if you haven't written a book, you completely should because people need to hear more of you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here.
I know. I know what you're thinking. That was a ton. There was a ton there, right? If I were to pick one or two moments in the conversation to highlight, I would have to say how Ghislaine drove home the difference between equity and equality with the example of schools. She questioned, do we learn the same? And do we go to the same quality schools in order to drive her point home in the difference. I also loved her example of the melting pot versus a stew to differentiate assimilation with inclusion, where the melting pot was compared to assimilation in the stew with inclusion. That was so, so good, right? Okay, I mentioned one of two things, and here I am. I'm going to share with you more. And I also loved Matt's point on how diversity, equity, and inclusion can't succeed without each other. Also, his point on cultural blindness, where we say we don't see others differently, but that in itself can keep us stuck. So those for me were like the huge takeaways, even though there was so much. I know when I listen to this again, I'm going to take away more. I want to know about you. What was your biggest takeaway? Let me know. Send me a DM. Send me an email. I really, really want to know what you went walked away with. If you want to connect with either Ghislaine or Matthew, you can connect with them on LinkedIn or you can learn more about their respective businesses or companies, Zero and Naba. And I will make sure that I have links to their LinkedIn and to Zero and Naba so you can check them out. If you love this episode and conversation, I would love it if you do two things for me. One is share this with a friend, family member, or coworker. And number two, review. You can leave a written review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can actually just rate us by giving us stars, the stars that you feel like we deserve. I don't know about you, but when I'm shopping, when I am looking for a new podcast to listen to, I look at the reviews and the reviews give me a better gauge for that podcast for whatever I'm looking to buy to help me determine whether I move forward with it or not. And these reviews not only help grow the show, but what mostly matters to you is that it allows us to continue to bring quality guests and even bigger guests. And I know as a guest myself on other podcasts, I want to know if that podcast I'm going to be on is a quality show. And in my research, a part of that of what I do is look at the reviews. So I know guests that are looking to be on my show also do the same thing. Of course, we make it easy for you by going to the resources section of today's episode. Next week, we will meet Babel Martinez, where we discuss the pros of salary transparency and his story of leaving his high-earning job at TikTok. It's a good one. Bueno, pues, that is everything. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show. You can check out everything over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 326. And if you forget that link, you can also look at those mini show notes that come on your phone in the podcast app. Remember that being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.